The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith, your host. I am the CEO of Empirical Wealth Management. We are a Seattle-based wealth management firm with close to a billion under management. For our clients, I'm a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis. And usually I have Ethan Broga with me on the program. Today he is out doing presentations in our local market. To uh, He does a, a pretty nice retirement presentation if you're interested in taking a look at that, I believe we have a webinar version of that on our website, empirical.net. Empirical Investing Radio is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas. And each week we come together and talk about uh, different ideas that we pick up uh, from the investment and planning world. Today I thought uh, I'd click through the um, market update and uh, maybe roll through some some interesting articles and topics uh, surrounding investments. A couple of questions that we've had uh, throughout the week that um, various investors have asked that we could hit upon a few of those over the program. And the uh, market continues to bounce around quite a bit. If you'd like to join me throughout the program, I am recording or broadcasting live today. I've got also my chief marketing technology Officer Simon Liu. Simon, uh, good afternoon. Hey, Ken. How's it going? Good to have you. Good. Good. As usual, Simon's our engineer. And if you send an email throughout the program, Simon will get it, and uh, we can talk about any questions or comments you have. You can do that at contact at empiradio.com, contact at empiradio.com. You can also call into the show on at uh, 866-472-5790. And if you'd like to call and talk offline, off air, I would be happy to talk to you about your personal situation, particularly if you are an investor that is planning for retirement, if you are planning for um, college education savings, and um, you've got investment decisions you'd like to make, or you are making, and general financial planning issues that you're trying to work through, please give me a call throughout the week at the firm. Mention that you've heard us on the program, and I'd be happy to give you um, up to an hour of consultation at no charge or obligation to hire Empirical. Uh, one of the articles I want to talk about today, Simon, is um, a little debate that got stirred by a, an industry participant about the CFP, or the Certified Financial Planner Board's 
approach to how advisors call themselves um, fee only or not. And um, here at Empirical, uh, we are compensated either on an hourly basis or solely on a percentage of the assets that we manage when we're doing investment work. So we don't receive a commission or remuneration from any of the investment products or any of the custodians that we may use to hold the client accounts that we work with. Um, But if you do want to reach me throughout the week, you can call me here at our firm and you can dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or shoot me an email directly and my email address is ksmith at empirical.net, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L.net. All right, we got that out of the way. Uh, let's take a quick look. So I'm at the market today. Was The Dow Jones closed up 108.88. A nice little bounce today. There's been a lot of IPOs coming out in recent weeks. Uh, I believe there was a firm called Q2 and, and um, several others in the last few weeks have come out. Um, the S&P was up 11.24 today. And um, so that's about six-tenths of a percent on the S&P 500. That puts us in positive territory year-to-date. On the S&P, we're up about 1.28%. The uh, large growth segment of the market, um, up four-tenths of a percent today. The large value being up eight-tenths of a percent. But uh, year-to-date, large growth is up a little more than value, 2.31 relative to 1.09. Small growth uh, down a three-tenths of a percent today. Small value up three-tenths. So value in the U.S. market doing a little better today than growth. But uh, year-to-date, small cap growth up 4.12. Small value up 2.42. Microcap stocks up slightly today, six-tenths of a percent. And year-to-date, however, microcaps are leading the U.S. segments that we're tracking here, being up 6.22% for the year. International large blend, the index that we track down about four-tenths of a percent today, uh, year-to-date, that puts that index down 2.9. The large value segment of the international developed markets uh, down three-tenths of a percent today, down 2.26% year-to-date, and the large growth segment of that market was also down a little over three-tenths of a percent today, but year-to-date down 3.2%. Five, three. So we have value in the developed international large sector doing a little better than growth year to date. Where in the U.S., it's been the reverse. Emerging markets today were they were actually up. Um, an interesting change, um, given that some of the other international components were down. They were up two tenths of a percent at the general emerging markets fund we track. Our year-to-date emerging markets are still struggling, down to 6.28% for the year. Frontier markets, which are a smaller segment of the emerging markets uh, area, countries that don't quite meet the standards to be in the general emerging markets index for a variety of reasons, and I believe we've got a blog on that. You can read about it. Um, just do a search for frontier markets that our director of research, Eric Lair, has written. To get a little insight as to how emerging markets might fit into your portfolio, uh, and particularly frontier markets, when and how you might access that piece of the market. But they were up 1.4% today, and they are up 5.48% year-to-date, which is kind of interesting given the decline in 
the emerging markets. REITs, real estate investment trusts, are up uh, 2.77% year-to-date in spite of being down 7 tenths of a percent today. And the general world stock index was up slightly today at 0.19% positive, putting us at a negative 0.67% year-to-date. So about flat year-to-date. And I think for most people, that world stock index should be a better and more appropriate proxy or measure of what you're benchmarking against. We like to go through all of the different indexes to give you an idea how diversifying across these different indexes, um, how they behave differently, how the different segments of the market. And in our discussions and plenty of material we have, we document and base how we build portfolios, starting with that world diversification idea and then leaning the portfolio towards the higher returning investment asset classes, but only in a very diversified tax and cost effective way. And when we do make those those liens, as we call them, or weights, or we target a particular premium in that area, we're doing so in a very measured way, and we're also doing so with complete understanding of the historical relationship of the risk we take when we do that. And for most people, if I were to shortcut the advantages of having an advisor to help you coordinate that, it really is in making those types of decisions and how you approach the tax area of that as you rebalance and that you are executing a disciplined approach to rebalancing based on trigger events like the portfolio has moved away from a range of risk tolerance objectives that needs to be put back in alignment or your personal circumstances have changed in such a way that the appropriate appropriate portfolio is no longer what you started with and that may mean your amount of exposure between equities and between fixed income that may be need, need to be adjusted and then also the types of investments that you're investing in and uh just joining here joining me here on the program is ethan broga just walked in hey ken hey good to see you Glad good to you be made it. how was your presentation Whew, i think it was great today yeah well, top tier you really outdid yourself well i mean i did receive a round a, of applause, a couple of Simon. compliments that's, get a round that's of true applause? Yeah, uh, he's tapped out. Yeah, no. we were over at, at Sullivan's across the street. Sully's, and uh, we had a crowd of about twenty-five people or so, just talking about our our six secrets of retirement success. And uh, went a little long. We had some questions that were needed some some answers that took a little time to fully explain. Then also, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Just glad to be here. Um, met with the folks afterwards as well. So I, I took a little longer than I expected, but I I swung over here as soon as I could. Well, I appreciate that, Ethan. I appreciate that. I appreciate that you are so dedicated. You love to leave everything, give everything you have in these events and answer all the questions that anyone may have. It was great. Appreciate that. We were just going through the market uh, overview, Mm -hmm. and um, I was reiterating our philosophy as to, hey, why do we go through these different areas? And as we got through the World Stock Index, I was putting into perspective the way that I view that as what in in 2014 what the the uh, investor out there mar- benchmarking his portfolio should be looking to it shouldn't be the dow jones in my opinion it shouldn't be the s&p 500 index shouldn't be the nasdaq index shouldn't mm-hmm. be the ipo index fund that's out now um yeah. and i saw this morning there's an actual etf that you can invest in ipos and i know we've written about that as well you can search for that paper on our on our website, but mm-hmm. um, 
any who, um, that's what's going on with the equity portion of the market. Um, I'm just going to say the yields uh, went up slightly over last week. So this week, the five-year treasury at 1.71, it was 1.52% last week, according to the data handed to me, Ethan. Uh, Mm. 10-year treasury at 2.77, up slightly from 2.65 last week. And the five-year muni market up a little bit, uh, 1.2 versus 1.14 on five-year muni averages. If you're in a 28% tax bracket, that means you're at about 1.67% tax equivalent yield. 10-year munis um, on average uh, yielding 2.51 versus 2.54 last week, so a little bit down there. Uh, that's the tax equivalent yield on a 28% tax bracket investor at 3.48%. Putting that into perspective, the taxable corporate bonds, five years at 1.89, uh, up from 1.74 last week. And the 10-year average quality AAA corporates at 3.19% this week relative to uh, 3.21 last week. So not a huge fluctuation in the key interest rates Um Gold, by the way, down about uh, 3.31% over the last week, hmm. um, eating at some of the gains, so that puts it at a 10.44% year-to-date gain. Silver down also. Platinum down almost 3% uh, over the week, and crude oil down about a percent over last week. we got to take a quick break. Now that we're done with the market overview, we'll come back uh, with Empirical Investing Radio. Ken and Ethan will talk about, uh, we'll get into some investing discussion right after this right after this break when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Entering our second segment of the show today, and uh, Ken, we're just going to go over, looks like an article from our friends at Dimensional, is that right, to kick things off here? Yeah, I, uh, every time to time I scan the uh, website from Dimensional Fund Advisors, one of the institutional funds that we like to utilize, mm-hmm. and uh, one of their vice presidents, Jim Parker, writes articles, he's actually in us, I believe in their Australia group, but... Um, it's called the devil. The devil wears nada. Um, something I thought you might be interested in. And um, pretty funny. Pretty funny. The global fashion industry is fickle by nature, pushing and then pulling trends towards keep, to keep hapless consumers forever turning over their wardrobes. Much of the financial services industry works the same way. Fashion designers, manufacturers, and media operate by telling consumers what's in vogue this year thus artificially creating demand where none previously existed. What turns up in the boutiques is hyped as hip by the glossy magazines to make you feel like you have to buy it. Likewise, much of the media and financial services industries depend on fleeting trends and built-in obsolescence to keep investors buying new, quote, stuff. Driving this industry aren't so much the real needs of individuals but manufactured ones with short Shelf lives, something I've said for years and years about the products that get put out. It is how it works. A very large portion of them, in my opinion, are not there uh, because there is a suitable place in in the typical investor's portfolio. They're there because they can be sold and money can be made off of them. Mm -hmm. But that's that's been my viewpoint, not Jim's. just as in fashion, many consumers jump onto the investment trend. Unfortunately, then it's after it's already peaked and the market has moved on to something else. So their portfolios can end up full of mismatched, costly, impractical, impractical creations such as hybrids, capital-protected products, and hedge funds. This is exactly what I've been saying sure. for years. These products tend to be created because they can sell. So in early 2005, Reuters wrote about how banks were manufacturing exotic credit credit derivatives, and those, Ethan, are instruments designed to separate and transfer credit risk for investors looking for ways to boost yield at a time of narrowing premiums over risk-free assets. A credit default swap is a credit derivative It's an over-the-counter financial instrument whose value is determined by the default risk of an underlying asset. Mm -hmm. Well, as you recall, it was the credit default swaps that created an enormous amount of the uh, financial losses when things went the wrong way that put us into the the financial situation. That's right. I do recall. Four years later, in the midst of the, of the uh, crisis caused partly by those same derivatives, the shiny new things were, quote, guaranteed or, quote, capital-protected products as financial institutions rolled out a new line of merchandise they thought they could sell to a ready market. 
Some investors made the mistake of swinging from one trend to the other, ending up with overly concentrated portfolios, like a fashion buyer with a wardrobe full of puffy blue shirts. Is that, for the Seinf- is that a Seinfeld uh, when he had the pirate shirt? <laughs> Probably is. Um, That's funny. While some of the investments may well have found a viable market, it's worth asking whether the specific and long-term needs of individuals are best served by the design and mass marketing of products built around short-term trends. Luckily, there is an alternative, and this is where it gets good, Ethan. There is an alternative to this dark side. (laughs) Rather than investing according to what's trendy at the moment, some people might prefer an approach based on long-term research and built upon principles that have been tried and tested in many market environments. Instead of second-guessing where the market might go next, this alternative approach involves working with the market, taking only those risks worth taking, holding a number of asset classes, keeping costs low, and managing one's own emotions. Instead of chasing returns like an anxious fashion victim, this approach involves investors trusting the market to offer the compensation owed to them for taking systematic risk. Those risks in the market that cannot be diversified away. Oh, real quick, Ethan, on that topic. Um, I, he uses some interesting language in his article here. One mm-hmm. of those is that the compensation is owed to the investor. Why is that? Do you, why do you believe he feels that way? Uh, and, oh. and how does that differ from what you believe in your experience the average investor coming into the market believes about how to how to have a successful experience in investing? Well, I can easily easily talk about the <clears throat> second part of that question, which is this: I think most people have that invest. In my experience, um, the vast majority, I'd say, uh, believe that their return in the market comes from things like either timing of the market or picking the right stocks. We're in fact we're we're, we're told um, from the media and numerous other sources again and again and again over the decades. So that's really the, the source of returns. Hey, we're going to get you in and out of the market at the right time. We're going to put the right securities that will go up in value. That's how most people believe that they're going to get their share of the market returns. Right? Well, hold on. Let me uh, play a clip from the Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. You know what is? No. Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Yeah, hey, Fugazi, Fugazi. It's a wazi. It's a woozy. It's a fairy dust. <laughs> All right. Proceed on. All right. I'm not sure how that. It's Faguzi Fawazi. I didn't see the movie yet, but. uh. Oh, well, in the movie, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is sitting with Matthew McConaughey. All right. And um, he's explaining Leonardo is a a new broker for one of the major brokerage firms. All right. He is. Matthew McConaughey is a successful um, older broker, and he. Is the guy in the office? He has a nice window office and makes a lot of money. And ultimately, he's um, taking Leo under his wing and he's explaining how it all works. And Leo's saying, "Hey, if we can help our investors make good decisions, they make money, and we make some money along the way. Everybody wins." And Matthew McConaughey goes on to say, "No, no, you got it all wrong. The market. Nobody knows which way the market's going. Nobody knows which stocks are going to win." The objective is to get the money out of the client's pocket 
and into your. <laughs> and we do that, right, right. In, in this exact scenario. Hey, we can create products that they think they like, to exactly tell right. stories that we think they like. Mm-hmm. That was the case back then, and that the, the story is about um, the um, guy that started the basically a chop shop, and he was peddling penny stocks gotcha. to um, wealthy individuals, and um, but was doing a lot of illegal activities, and ultimately got in trouble for it. But right. Proceed on. Okay. Well, in, in terms of guys, yes. we're. Fugazi. Oh, it's a continue fake. after the question. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see the movie. It sounds like yeah, it's good. Yeah, so again, most people are under the impression that it's you got to be in the right products, right? You got to own the right stocks. You got to be in and out of the market at the right time. That's how you got to make money. And as a movie, you just you, you just demonstrated for us in the movie. They, they don't actually believe that either. People who are propagating this idea, uh, but they do it mainly because that's how they make money, right? Mm-hmm. They they make money by Telling really, a, in essence, a really good story that seems, hey, that's got to be believable, and I got to have some of that. So I'm going to go ahead and invest that way. But in reality, what's going on? They're, they're simply going through the mechanism, a fancy process in which they take money from you and put it in their own pocket because they know very well that they can't tie the market and they can't put the right securities and all that stuff, right? Right. So that's how most people view the market, uh, in my my experience. Uh, and in, in terms of the article and what they're saying about being basically getting paid to take a risk, and that is correct. I think you are, that's the way you make money in investing. You, you take on appropriate risks, and you can expect over time in a diversified portfolio to have a reasonable return. That return is not dependent on stock market timing or picking the right securities. It's simply you're getting rewarded for taking risk over time. And that's what's going on with the article here. Well, you are correct, Ethan. I couldn't agree more if I said it myself. Um, instead of guessing where the market is, okay, the alternative then is as he said, working with the market, taking those risks, um, worth taking, holding a number of asset cat classes, keeping the costs low, and managing one's own emotions. Right. Um, that idea of the systematic risk or those taking that market risk is the idea that once you own all the securities in the market, you don't have the risk of any one or a small handful or one sector causing you to underperform the greater market, mm-hmm. or creating a catastrophic event that you, where you see a substantial amount of your wealth disappear. So the idea then is you know, spreading out those risks in a way where you still expect a positive reward. And it's the most controllable risk, by the way. Mm-hmm, it is. Um, it doesn't mean that there are no risks. By definition of the word risk, it means there's uncertainty or there's a chance of seeing your portfolio decline. Mm-hmm. And if you have to pull the money out too quickly, there's a chance that you'll lose money. That's the nature of the market that has to be accepted. And once you've accepted that and embraced that, you can turn that around and make it work for you. And that's what he was saying by making it work. You make that work by aligning your portfolio to the appropriate time horizon in a way that gives you the greatest chance of having a successful experience. And I think that's the work, as I was saying in our in our pre uh, liminary going through the market update. That's the work that where a good advisor can focus their energy and time and coordinating that with a strategy that aligns the tax and the other protections that good planning does mm-hmm. to, to add enormous value. Um, and where a lot of investors make a big mistake and get caught up and avoid the whole advisor thing is they wind up going to a, a 
mutual fund complex that has very low expenses, let's say, um, and not getting the appropriate help. And again, they're tripping over, um, you know, they're tripping over, they're passing over the dollar bills and tripping on the pennies or whatever um, because they don't know what they don't know. But somebody wrote an article somewhere about not paying anybody to help you. And so therefore they don't. And they wind up losing a lot more money than if they got good help to coordinate all of this. And the party's hitting on, part of that coordination is managing our own emotions, which is very, very difficult to oh, yeah. self-regulate, Yep. to do what you know is right. Even when knowing what's right is very simple to do, it's hard to execute. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, though, Ethan. We'll finish this, and I've got a couple of other um, articles and also client questions that we've had. We'll, uh, we'll tackle this, this hard-hitting these hard-hitting topics right after this break. Empirical Investing Radio. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Entering our third segment of today's program, uh, just talking about an article from one of our friends at Dimensional Fund Advisors, uh, Jim Parker, and specifically talking about the parts of the investment experience that you derive your return from. And we're ending upon the paragraph that starts uh, talking about working with the market, taking only those risks worth taking, holding a number of asset classes, keeping costs low, and we were just right before the break talking about managing one's own emotions. That's right, my friend. That is right. So, uh, anyway, he says, instead of chasing returns like an anxious 
fashion victim. Uh, <laughs> this approach involves investors trusting the market to offer the compensation owed to them for taking that systematic risk. Those risks that the market uh, in the market that can't be diversified away. So instead of juggling investment styles according to the fashion of the moment, the more academic approach is the approach that is based on the dimensions of return in the market that have been shown by rigorous research as sensible, persistent, and pervasive. What do you think he means by that, Ethan? Sensible, persistent, and pervasive. Well, the things that have have happened in the market in terms of returns, not in one small segment of time probably, not the last one year, for example, not the last three years as an example, but really through the history of the stock market, can we identify things that have had um, uh, a better return than other asset classes? Are there differences among diversified portfolios? What, mm-hmm. What's driving those differences? And in, the essence, in essence, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about one of those things in terms of the, the primary distinction of returns really is company size, right? We know that, hey, it's smaller companies outperform large over time. Given enough time, the risk for taking risk on smaller companies pays off in terms of extra return. Right. They're large. It's one big example of what he's talking about. That research is, is indeed uh, rigorous, sensible, persistent, and pervasive. It's, you, it's, it's, you, can't, you can't get around it. It is what it is. That's what he's talking about. Those types of risks are the ones that are, are worth, worth taking. Those type of systematic or systemic risks are worth taking because you get compensated for that. Simply take boning smaller companies versus large is one of those ways to do it. And then there are a few others, but that's one, one big way. Okay. All right. Well, I can agree with that. It's reasonable. Um, instead of blowing the wardrobe budget on the portfolio equivalent of leg warmers, which I know you like to wear, Ethan, <laughs> this approach <laughs> spreads risk across mm-hmm. and within many different asset classes, sectors, and countries through a technique called diversification. And instead of paying top dollar for the popular brands at expensive department stores, this approach focuses on securing good long-term investments at low prices relative to fundamental measures. Buying high just means your expected return is low. Most of all, instead of focusing on off-the-rack investments created by the industry, based on what it thinks it can sell this week, This approach can help deliver long-term results based on each individual's own needs, goals, and life circumstances. To paraphrase the legendary designer Coco Chanel, investment fashion changes, but style never goes out of fashion. So, um, in conclusion, I I thought it was a good article. I thought Jim did a good job. Yeah. Summing up some of the principles that um, most of us that embrace a more empirical approach to investing, realize that what Wall Street does is not intended to provide sound investment to the public. It's intended to create an enormous amount of wealth for those companies. And there are a few of us out there, and more so every day, mm-hmm. learning and building a, a, a firms that are helping clients um, and putting the client's objectives in the right places um, while while we're earning a living doing it. And uh, and so uh, I've been frustrated for a long time, Ethan. That's why I kind of like this article because I've said it many times. Say, hey, I see this stuff flying out constantly and it's always to solve uh, the yesterday's problem right. or it's always something that is currently 
a struggle for investors, and so they know they can give them the illusion of the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. So if its yields are low, it's constant products of where can we expose investors to more risk to get them, and that risk may not be rewarded risk, by the way. Um, it may be concentrated risk in one industry or group, or it may be the function of buying long-term securities or junk right. securities. To get a higher yield because treasuries, as we said at the beginning of the program, a 10-year treasury is going to give you 2.77% a year. So people are starving for yield, particularly people who are in a retirement uh, mode right now. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have good planning or confidence that they can navigate through this lower yield environment and still accomplish all their objectives and not running out of money, where are they going to turn? They're going to turn to things like insurance products when the market equity markets go down through the crisis and 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 then fixed annu- annuities are paying virtually nothing but money is flooding into them because people are, are reacting emotionally and fearfully with the idea that hey the market's never going to recover it's going to go to zero and i'm going to lose all my money but part of that is they didn't have a good structure of controlling their own money in a way that gave them assurances that it will be around even in spite of one of the worst declines and worst economic um, downturns we've had in history, the market has fully recovered, fully recovered. I mean, it's phenomenal to me how what, what, he is, what Jim is saying and what we've said, the idea that if you looked to rigorous research that is sensible, persistent, and pervasive, um, that would be what you would apply to get through those difficult times. And stay on track. And part of that is if you are well diversified, it didn't mean your equity portion of your portfolio didn't decline. It did, right? Mm-hmm. But because you were properly diversified, it fully recovered. That is that rewarded or owed risk. Right. It paid it. It owed it to you. And you got paid for it. And if you had the right amount of fixed income and the right type of fixed income, right. same thing today, you didn't need all of these garbage products that get thrown out and uh, let me let me I found that the rest of that clip I'd like to play from the Wolf of Wall Street with uh, I think we got enough time here okay Okay. Warren Buffett or if you're Jimmy Buffett nobody knows if the stock is going to go up down sideways or in fucking circles least of all stockbrokers it's all a fugazi you know what a fugazi is no fugazi it's a fake yeah fugazi fugazi it's a wazi it's a woozy it's a fairy dust it doesn't exist it's never landed it is no matter it's not on the elemental chart it it's not fucking real right all right right. stay with me Mm -hmm. we don't create shit we don't build anything no so if you've got a client who bought stock at eight and it now sits at 16 and he's all fucking happy he wants to cash in liquidate take his fucking money and run home you don't let him do that okay because that would make it real right no what do you do you get another brilliant idea, a special idea, another situation, another stock to reinvest his earnings in themselves. And he will every single time because they're fucking addicted. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep doing this again and again and again. Meanwhile, he thinks he's getting shit rich, which he is on paper. But you and me, the brokers, right. we're taking home cold hard cash via commission, motherfucker. Right. It's incredible, sir. I can't tell you how excited I am. You should be. There's two keys to success in the broker business. First of all, 
you got to stay relaxed. Yeah. Well, I, I forgot that uh, there probably would need to be some editing there. Um, so I apologize <laughs> for the uh, language in that clip, but the general idea uh, is not too far off from reality in my view, and I don't think it's a distant thing with a lot of the products that get put out, particularly by the larger brokerage or investment houses. And one of the recent questions that I, uh, somebody had asked is, well, you know, the bigger investment banks present that they have some inside knowledge or ability with their vast research team and product to create these alternative strategies mm-hmm. or sophisticated products that the general idea in any of the cases is to uh, somehow skirt the risk and get all the return. Right. If we, if we really broke it down in the simplest, simplest firm, they're trying to position a lot of this stuff as, hey, there's less risk for more return. But in reality, what I believe Jim and the other uh, great academics that we've read over the years have found is there is a relationship to risk and return, and there are certain types of risks particularly net of the exorbitant costs and not to mention tax costs in a lot of cases uh, that aren't worth taking. And so I, uh, I just thought that that was an, you know, an interesting um, or a more enjoyable way of sharing those, those concepts. But yeah, and I, I do think apologize for the language in that. In the, the, the time period in which that movie covers, right, is, uh, must be sometime in the 70s or something like that, right? Uh, actually, no. It's, 80s, it was maybe? In the, in, yeah. Late 80s, I think. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I guess I was in, all I was going to say was this. I think the Wall Street's gotten a little more sophisticated than just pumping stocks in people's portfolios. You know, in general, they, that, that might still go on, but I think it's probably to a lesser degree than it used to. Now they're, they're doing things that, are, that sound, sound different and sound better, right, to, to meet the current demand of things. But in general, it's really a similar idea, creating products that people probably don't need for the most part. Um, and instead of helping clients do smart things to help them grow their, and protect their wealth, they're really trying to generate some type of, of income stream or commission or fee that helps the firm grow. That's, that's, that was the 90s, actually. Oh, wow. And the guy I remember now is the guy, uh, Belf, um, Jordan Belfort, Belfort who was a stockbroker. Huh. Um, and he, he engaged in security fraud. But Anyway, that brings us to our next article, Ethan, I thought would be interesting along those lines. Um, you know, a guy that you, he puts out a lot of material and in the investment uh, news publication here last week, they talked about his blog comments um, as it related to the CFP board's position on compensation. And uh, we may have to take a quick break, but I thought we maybe we'll take, do that and when we come back, I'd like to just talk a little bit, you know, while we're on this line of Wall Street creating products and um, the appropriate, you know, what we believe is a more appropriate way of building portfolios. We talked a little bit about that, but also, what is a fair way of being compensated, and is it about just getting having the disclosure correct, or is there a preferred way to hmm. get advice? So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and, and talk about that. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Last segment of the day, and Ken, we were just uh, talking for the break. We're going to enter another another article. I think you were talking about investment news. Is that right? Yeah, just a uh, recap of a little debate that got stirred on a blog hmm. from a, a guy named Michael Kitches who writes the Kitches Report. Oh yeah. I, um, so he's a financial planner, basically in the industry, and so he he makes a lot of comments about uh, um, just various topics. Right. And. Um, one of the things he brought up, you know, in the article here is by Mark Schaff uh, in Investment News, March seventeenth. The way that CFP board categorizes financial advisor compensation makes it nearly impossible for an advisor to be deemed fee only, according to the popular blogger, uh, who is almost single-handedly stoking this debate. In a forty-three hundred and sixty-word post on his blog, Michael Kitches said that the certified financial board uh, defines compensation so expansively that almost every financial planner must be labeled as a commission and free. Uh, I'm sorry, and fee. It would be nice if it was commission and free. Uh, Commission and fee uh, advisor, I guess. Under the CFP board rules, a planner can be fee only, only if he or she generates revenue through fees and doesn't charge commissions and isn't affiliated with a firm that could charge commissions. The group's compensation categories also include commission only. When nearly all advisors must use the same compensation disclosure label of commission and fee to define a wide range of actual compensation structures, from 0% commissions to 100% commissions, the very purpose of the compensation disclosure begins to lose its meaning. 
value and clarity for the public that the CFP board purports to serve, wrote Kitsch's partner and director of PAG. We, he was not available for comment. He outlined six scenarios in which advisors and disparate business models all would have to label themselves as fee and commission. And without going through the whole thing here, um, Ethan, I guess there was a big reaction, a lot of discussion on, on this blog. Um, and the CFP board said, hey, we're pretty clear that we believe that defining the word only is pretty straightforward. Only means only. Um, and I happen to kind of agree with where they're coming from in that being inside of a firm that, uh, be, and we've talked about this, Ethan, that I think it's very important to have disclosure. Whether or not somebody has the potential or their firm has the potential to earn a commission is a different debate altogether as to whether that's okay or not. But the thing that shouldn't be, the real issue here should be that it's properly disclosed. So I think the CFP board's position, I'll let you chime in, Ethan, but if if they're saying, hey, if this advisor has the capacity to get paid a commission or they're in a firm that earns a commission somehow, they need to be categorized as uh, fee and commission. Um, I, I think they're taking the more conservative route with that. And I think that's okay because when we in the industry are, are making a decisions of how we're going to put ourselves out there, taking a more conservative route to me is better for the consumer than being more liberal with that and saying, well, we'll just call ourselves fee only but really, someone in the firm is making a commission, or the firm is making a commission. I'm not, so I'm fee only, and but the firm is not. And all the six scenarios, I didn't get to go through all of them that he hmm. lays out where the person and I, uh, I think we should. Yeah. And uh, we'll find his blog and we'll go through it. But I think what I'd like to share is just that if you are an investor, and I think you should understand this no matter where you go, even if you say, hey, I'm doing it on my own. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna handle. I don't want an advisor. I'm gonna do it my own. There, there are very few places that you can open an account where the person who's you're opening the account with doesn't make money somehow. Yeah, sure. Um, right. There's yeah. Even Vanguard, who is widely held as this company that is owned by the shareholders for their, they are charging fees for what they do, and there are people there that are working there that are making money. So mm-hmm. it's. Until you get to the point where you are a nonprofit, taking donations and covering the expenses, of it, then you are making money, and they are making money. And the important thing to me is, well, how are they making money, and what, or what are all the different ways that they can make money, and what am I paying? Those are the important things to me to understand. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to frame all of this in terms of how you decide where you're going and what you're doing if you, knowing what you know, Ethan, um, weren't around, but you had the opportunity to have your wife go into a model and get help, or your parents, or your brother, or your sister, people that you deeply care about, um, how would you want them to, to be treated? And how would you like them to be? Uh, I don't know if you ever think about that, but... For example, would you feel comfortable with them working in an, a, a situation where the person giving them investment ideas and financial planning advice is 100% commission? So every <laughs> step of the way from the investment right. that they change, uh, like we just played the clip, 
um, the, the investment to, oh, by the way, you need some insurance. Oh, by the way, you should do this. And everything generates all roads leading to a juicy commission. Right. Would you feel comfortable with any of the people that I just mentioned in that, in that model? No. So would you want them to know, would you feel that, hey, if I'm not here to guide, knowing what I know, to guide these people in my life, and they're, being, they're out there in the public figuring it out on their own, how would, would you like that to be very clearly disclosed to them? Yeah, I'd love it to be cl- clearly okay. disclosed. Okay. Yeah. So you certainly wouldn't want one of those individuals or, or the individual working at a company to be able to somewhat um, cover that up or hide it in a way where it appears as if they're working in a fee-only situation. But in reality, there are commissions being earned somewhere in the background. Right. You, you'd want, I would want, personally, that to be more aggressive about saying, well, you know, Bob, you're the advisor here uh, at, you know, Bob at uh, Bill's Investment House and brokerage firm or whatever, and you're telling me you just get a salary and you don't get paid any commission to give me help, right? I think it's more important to understand that maybe Bob is getting a salary, but maybe his ability to retain his job, his future pay raises, and uh, his bonus may be, just may be connected to what he recommends to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is equally, if not more important, since the employer controls their job, than whether Bob gets a direct commission once that's been disclosed, right? Sure. So I, I don't have a problem with, personally, and again, I'm, I'm giving you the, I'm admitting that I haven't read all his scenarios and gone through this as deeply, but I like the trend of where they're going, which is, hey, if someone's going to say they're fee-only, then all we're, it needs to be very clear that they... And the firm and people they're affiliated with are fee only. Right. I don't have a huge issue or problem with that. I'm just weighing in on my end of that, and I'm saying I'm not. I don't think there's this, there's something wrong in certain situations where you're not compensated solely on some set fee. The commission debate is a completely different one, mm-hmm. but it's the disclosure part that I I I want to be very very clear. And if there's going to be any error. I would rather have it on air on the conservative side to the to the public, sure. Where they're not thinking they're in some some structure that could be looked at the other way. It would be nice to have those three things somehow very pervasive. Like, hey, fee only is means this, you know, commission means this, or a fee or some type of blend is something else. You'd have the definitions based on every disclosure. That'd be nice. Then you can ask point to the one where which you are. Yeah, that'd be one way. To, I don't know. It'd be nice to have some clarity because I don't, I don't think people in the industry or other people who are clients of the industry know the difference much between those things or care much about them. But in, in the real world, in my view, and, and yours too, I'm sure, there's a big distinction between those. And who you choose as an advisor will, in large part, depend on the results of that inquiry as to how they're paid. Well, how many times in, in the last several years have you met with people who came from a, a place where they were being charged um, somehow that part of the compensation was coming from the investments, but they didn't think, they weren't aware of it. They weren't really sure how the person, how, how the company and the person was getting paid, and they actually thought that they were paying less than in reality they yeah. were. Often enough. Yeah, it's very frequent. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty and frequent. I, and I think that's where the focus in the industry should be going on very clear disclosure in those areas. Well, Ethan, that's about all the time we have today. All right. Um, thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. And again, if you want to contact us throughout the week, give us a call here at the office, 
888-346-4307. As for Ken Smith or Ethan Broga, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again next week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 